You're listening to the Redemption Hill Church podcast from Tallahassee, Florida. For more information, visit our website at rh-church.com. Hey, Pastor Chad here. I'm so glad you've taken the time to listen. We're currently studying verse by verse through the book of Acts. Among other things, we'll see the mission, the persecution, and the expansion of the church. Now, time for this week's message. I hope everyone is doing well today. And um, I wanted to, we didn't really go through announcements much. A, a couple of things, real, real super fast. We have small groups that will be kicking off in February, probably right after Valentine's Day. We don't want to take away those date nights from husbands and wives. Um, but So we have that coming up. But then, uh, if you recall, the, the last Sunday of 2015, we, um, kind of, we used that Sunday as kind of a, a morning to kind of rehash a little bit about um, what we kind of covered in 2015. And then we, look, we wanted to kind of look ahead of, to, to, towards 2016. And... Um, one of those things I, I was trying to encourage us to do was to rethink 2016. So as, as we were making those preparations for our New Year's resolutions and all that kind of jazz, I wanted us to think, what does that look like for our church? And there was two things that God really laid on my heart. One was missions, and what would that look like for us? And I kind of laid that challenge out for us as a faith family that we were going to commit this year to $16,000 to go towards missions. But then also on top of that, not just give money, but try and be involved, get our own hands dirty. And so kind of raise the challenge that we're going to try and, and get 1,600 hours as a faith family towards missions. And so that was part of it. It was rethinking that. And then the other, there's another thing that the Lord's really just laid on my heart the last, um, really it's been, I would say, close to a year now, is, is for us to rethink, I don't even know how to really word it, um, but our role in government our um, engagement in government and how important that is. And one of the things I think I know that we take for granted is, is the freedoms that we have and the abilities that we have. And, and sometimes we can step back, and those of us who are believers will step back and we'll think, man, it's just a mess out there. And it's, it, it is. No one's going to sugarcoat that. It is. But, you know, we, we're, we're blessed with the opportunity that we can help make a difference. You know, we, we, this year is an important year. As, as almost every year is, but this year, 2016, is, it's an election year, a national election year. And so it gives us the opportunity to be able to engage. In it. And we all of us who are old enough to vote have the opportunity, but really we have the responsibility to go and vote. And one of the things that I believe very strongly is this, that, that we need to um, be well-versed in the people that we vote for. We ought to know and, and sometimes, honestly, we, um, we can be like most people, and the number one concern that we wrestle with is what's their economic policy? How is this going to affect my pocketbook? And while the economy is important, I would, I would honestly tell you I think it is one of the lesser important issues that we need to discuss. And, and so one of the things that we're going to do this year, and I, we're not exactly sure if it's going to be like this every month, but once a month I wanted us to take an issue and look at it from a biblical perspective. So, so what I'm telling you guys is this, don't expect me to get up here in a pulpit and say you need to go vote for whoever. I'm not going to tell you who you should vote for. 
But I will tell you this, we're going to talk about issues, and then hopefully those issues will help us choose the candidates that, both, that, that match up best with that. And here's the deal. As we look at those issues, this is what's going to be our guide. The Bible. Okay? So we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to try and find out what those things look at from a biblical perspective. So, um, so Zach, Zach's got this um, little video here I want us to show. This kind of is the platform um, of, and actually, Zach, go to the next slide. This is what we're, we're calling this thing. It's, it's veracity. And this is what I think is cool. So um, check out veracity here, according to Google, which if it's on Google, it's truth, okay? <laughs> just, just so we know. Um, it says this, it's conformity to facts and accuracy. And then this is the second, I, lo- I like this, habitual truthfulness. And that's what our goal is. That's what we're striving for. We want to make sure that truth is greater than culture. All right. And so, Zach, there's a little video I want us to play. And this is kind of a little bit of a platform what we envision this, this um, monthly thing to be about. So, Zach, why don't you play it for us real quick? And so, uh, so yeah, hopefully you guys, um, and that's our, our prayer is, is this, that certain things propel us and, and we can't remain silent. And so, um, this, this coming Wednesday night, that's from 6.30 to about 7.30, we're gonna, the first subject we're going to approach is abortion. And we're going to talk about that. And um, um, I'm, I'm going to speak on part of it. And then we're, I'm at, we have a guest coming, Jamie Brown, who's the director of a women's pregnancy center, which is um, located right almost basically on the FSU campus. And so she's going to come and share some. And so um, I would encourage you, and, and listen, this some of these issues are going to be more clear-cut. Um, other issues that we may discuss might not be as, there might be some great issues, but, but you know, we're, we want to talk about things like abortion. We want to talk about marriage, same-sex marriage. We want to talk about things like immigration and gun control and things like that. And, and, and prayerfully, it will all be focused out of the Scripture, and then we'll have a chance to, to have some discussion and stuff like that. And so I just want us to, to, to be mindful of it and Whenever you talk about this, and I said this that last week in December, when you mix politics and religion, it's usually a recipe for, some will say disaster. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but it does lend itself to, to high emotions. And that's why we really want to try and remove emotion from it and insert Bible Okay, and so we may have some differing views, and that's going to be okay. One of our core values is this, that we're grounded in grace. Okay, and so as we approach this, as we tackle some of these issues, we want to make sure we keep grace up front and center, okay? So we may not all agree, and hopefully as we look at it from the Bible, we come to a place of agreement, but, but it's important for us to have these discussions. I, I believe this, failure to have some of these hard, tough discussions has gotten us to where we are today. And so it's important for us. And we're not a large church, but I think that God can use us. And so I want to encourage you, as we do this, maybe this coming Wednesday, you may not normally come to church on a Wednesday night. It's okay. But maybe this week you take, you decide you're going to come to this. You want to be part of this. You want to hear what, what we have to say about this. Maybe you invite some friends. And, um, and, and I hope that this isn't just for Redemption Hill. You don't have to be a member of Redemption Hill to be part of this. We want this to be open to whoever wants to come. And... Um, and so as we do this, I'm going to encourage you guys to pray. Pray over this. Pray, pray over the topics. Pray over those who will be speaking. Pray over those who will be listening. We'll go from there. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. 
Last week, we, we went over a tremendous amount of material. Somebody at the end of the service asked if I took a breath yesterday, last week, because I was trying so hard to go. I know I, know I, have, I, know I go long, and, and so I, there was a lot of material, and so I just decided I was just going to go through it as fast as I could and talk as fast as I could. And so some of you may have, felt, some of you may have left church tired from listening. This morning, we're not going to tackle as much um, as far as length and passage, but I think um, is very, very important. Before we read our, our actual passage, so maybe you put your, your thumb in Acts. If you go over to the next book uh, of the Bible into Romans, I want to read this, this passage, and, and the book of Romans is written by actually the person that we're going to be introduced to this morning. But the person we see this morning looks much different here than he will when we get to Acts. But he makes this um, interesting passage. I think it's pretty familiar to, to, to most of us. But in Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 31 through 39. So Romans 8, 31 through 39 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how he will not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it, who, or who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, was who was raised, who was at the right hand of God. We're going to get to that this morning too. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, um, this morning, I pray as we, as we look into your word, as we read this passage of scripture, that you bring this to life that you allow us to see a glimpse of what took place some 2,000 years ago, but is relevant to us today. As we look into a life of a man who we've spent the last few weeks talking about, or may may we see, may we understand and realize that he's a man just like we are, and the things that he accomplished, we can accomplish, and the heart that he had, the presence that he had, the glow that he had, we can have. Lord, I, I, don't know, I don't know what things people may be wrestling with today. I don't know the struggles. I don't know the highs or the lows. But I know we all go through them. Lord, I pray that you bring us to you. That you capture our hearts. That you capture our attention. Holy Spirit, I pray that you give me power and authority. God, I pray that all that I do and say brings honor and glory to you. Help me to be faithful to your word. Give me your heart. Give me your passion. It's in your son's beautiful and precious and holy name we pray. Amen. So this morning, 
We're going to go through Acts, the last part of, of the book, the end of the seventh chapter, starting in verse 54. And just to give us a quick recap, last week we, we've talked about Stephen the last three or four weeks. Stephen was one of the first deacons. Stephen um, goes from being this guy who goes and delivers food to the widows. God uses, God grows him, and he goes beyond just being this delivery boy into this guy that goes around and he's, he's preaching in the synagogues, he's sharing the gospel. Um, people are, are converted and people are growing. And, and, and so the religious establishment doesn't like him. And so they bring him in, they arrest him, they put him on trial, a mock trial. And as we've gone the, the last two, three weeks, we've looked at this, there are a lot of similarities between Jesus and Stephen. And so there's this mock trial that goes on, and they're accusing him. There's these people that have been hired out, 30 pieces of silver they were paid to go out there and, and um, make this false claim towards Stephen. And, and so he goes, and he stands up, and he's before the Sanhedrin, this Jewish Supreme Court. And he delivers what's the second longest recorded sermon in the New Testament. And in there, he destroys all their accusations. You see, the, the Jews of that day, this really traditional group of people, they were hanging their hats on these three pillars. One was the law, the law of Moses. Moses is their hero, and he's the one that they looked after. So one was the law, one was the temple, the building. They believed that God just resided there in the temple. And the other one was the land, Jerusalem, that they were these special chosen people and that earned them these special rights. And so, so, Tim, or so Stephen goes through and he, and he destroys all that. And so we ended last week with him concluding his sermon. And today we pick up with the way they responded. So verse 54 says this. Now when they, this is the Sanhedrin, heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. He gets up there and he delivers this message. And the way they responded was they were mad. And it wasn't just mad. I love how the Bible used that term. They were enraged. They were gritting their teeth. If you guys ever had that conversation with somebody where that goes from just um, a slight disagreement to the point where people are like grinding their teeth at you, most of the time it's with our spouse, isn't it? Or we just, or our kids. Oh my, right? That's what it is with, with me where you just you try and you, you talk with them, you try and explain with them, and they don't get it. And finally, you get to that point where you're just like grinding your teeth because you're pulling, I can't really pull my hair out. But, but we get to that point, right? And that's, that's the way the crowd, I mean, Peter or, or Stephen's delivered this great message. He's picked apart all of these claims. And the way they respond is they just, they're getting mad. Their faces are turning red and they're gritting their teeth at Stephen. Verse 55 says this, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And so as this crowd is, is getting enraged, as they're gritting their teeth at Stephen, Stephen's captivated Something's grabbed a hold of his attention to the point where he doesn't even see the crowd. He doesn't hear the grinding of the teeth. He sees Jesus. He's, he's beholding the glory of God. You go back to the very beginning of, of Acts chapter 7, verse 2. 
as Stephen begins this message to the Sanhedrin, he talks about the glory of God appearing to Abraham. Well, now the glory of God is appearing to Stephen, and he sees Jesus. You remember we, at the very beginning of this, we read that passage in Romans, and it talked about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And, and throughout Scripture, we read, you read in, in Psalms 110, you read in Mark chapter 16, that Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, was sitting at the right hand of God. But this is different. This isn't what Peter, or this isn't what Stephen sees. Stephen sees Jesus standing. I mean, if, again, if I were you, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you, underline that phrase, standing. To me, this is a great phrase. It's a great idea. If, if you recall, when we talked about Stephen at the very beginning in, in, in um, Acts chapter 6, when he introduced as a deacon, we made known that his word Stephen, the Greek form is Stephanos. And Stephanos in Greek meant crowned. Uh, the idea, going back to those old ancient Olympic days when they would run those races, when they have those, those different relays or whatever it was, when the winner crossed the line and he was crowned, they would take this wreath often made out of, out of olive leaves and they would take it and they would crown the winner. And here we have Jesus standing up, getting ready to crown Stephanos, Stephen. And Stephen, what I, I love and I would also maybe encourage you in that same passage of verses, uh, in verse 56, it says, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man. Underline that, Son of Man. That was a, a title given to Jesus. We see that reference. It was one of the favorite titles that Jesus had during his earthly days. That phrase right there, the Son of Man, this is the last time we see that in the, gospel, or in, in the New Testament. And it's not just a thing that Stephen throws out there, but what happens is as Jesus as Stephen is looking to heaven and he's captivated by the glory of Jesus and he sees Jesus standing out with arms reached out, he makes the title Son of Man, which refers to his incarnation, which refers to Jesus being all man and all God at the same time. See, as Jesus is standing at the right hand with his arms outstretched, one of the things that Stephen can see are those scars in his hands. See, we, we have to remember that Jesus didn't lose his incarnation when he ascended into heaven. Jesus still bears those scars in his hands and his feet. And as things get real bad in the life of Stephen, and he draws all of his attention and sees Jesus, the grinding of the teeth don't mean much when he sees the scars in the hands. As he is proclaiming, as he's telling the people what he sees, notice again the crowd's reaction. Verse 7, But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Tell me that doesn't sound like a bunch of elementary school kids. Again, Parents, how many times have, have we had those discussions with our kids or, or we see our kids maybe in an argument with, with one of their fellow brothers or sisters and it doesn't go well and they realize they're not winning the argument. So instead what they do is they take their fingers, they put them in their ears and they start shouting things. Right? We've all seen that, right? We've all experienced that. 
It's one of my favorite tactics with Courtney. When I'm losing an argument, I put my fingers in my ear and I just start shouting, stomping my feet. That's what they do. That's what the crowd does. That's what the, the Sanhedrin, that's what the witnesses, the people there, these are religious elitists. And Stephen, he's, he's, he's sees Jesus and he's telling them what he sees. And they just start shouting and plugging in their ears. 58 says, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. As Jesus, or as Stephen's telling the people what he sees, and as this rage engulfs them, they take Stephen, they take him outside the city, and they cast him down, and they stone him. This isn't necessarily a practice that's widely used today, I suppose, over in other areas it may be, but, but typically what would happen is they would take the individual, and the witnesses would be the ones who would take this person who they would find guilty. And oftentimes there was a pit or there would be a cliff, and, and that, that individual that was being held in judgment would be stripped down, naked. And he would go to the end, to the cliff, to the, to the edge, and then somebody would, off, would tell him the charges and they would push him over. And, and that cliff or that pit would, would be typically twice the size of the average man. So it had been somewhere between 10 and 12 feet. They would fall. Sometimes the fall alone would be enough to, to kill them. But oftentimes it would require more. And it wasn't these little stones that we may envision. It wasn't like the stuff that maybe mark our flower beds or our driveways. See, when they talk this, when they, they mention this, they talk about how they would take their garments, they, they took their garments off and they laid them at the feet of this young man named Saul. See, they would remove their outer garments because it was going to be a laborsome job. It may take a while. It was gonna, these rocks were, were large. It would require them using both hands to lift them up. Oftentimes they would lift them over their head and they would throw them down. And so if you, again, consider he's 10, 12 feet below them, once they lift it over their heads, it's something traveling 15 feet or better. It's crushing and painful. The process could take a while. And as they're doing this, this innocent, young Stephen, who had done nothing more than tell people about Jesus, cried out to heaven. And in such an amazing act of humility, doing just as Jesus did from the cross, cried out that God would forgive those throwing the stones. I don't know if I would have done the same thing Stephen did. Most of us in our life, when we get into those times of difficulty, when our backs are against the wall and things are being thrown at us, whether they're real or made up, 
we bow up and we want to go on the attack, don't we? We want to shout other accusations back at them. We want to defend ourselves. Again, going back to the, the beginning of this chapter, we understand that all these accusations made at Stephen were all lies. They were all made up. They, they were paying people to accuse him of things. He hadn't done these things. Yet Stephen, fully concentrating on the Son of Man, fully focused, I believe, on those nail-print hands with great grace and love, prayed that God would forgive those. It's interesting because here is where we're introduced to Saul. Someone in chapter 9 who becomes one of the main characters of the remaining portion of Scripture. In fact, someone who from the remaining Scriptures wrote most of it. And it, all the Bible tells us there is a, that this young Saul was there and they went to him and they laid their garments at his feet. Saul's a young hotshot. He's gone through all the training. He, he knows the law. He knows what's going on. And he observes all this. Saul's a part of the Sanhedrin. Paul's a part of the group that condemns him. When we get to chapter 8 here in just a second, it starts off with telling us that, that Saul approved of the execution. And so I believe as they're going to them with the garments, they're looking at him for this final stamp of approval, this final, yes, let's do it. And he nods and he gives them the clearance to go and do. And Saul sees this. Saul hears the message. Saul sees this young Stephen. They, he sees him thrown into this pit or off the cliff. He sees these rocks being hurled at Stephen. And he sees the response that Stephen had when he says, God, forgive them. Forgive them. And then he sees Stephen, as the Bible say, says, fall asleep. Again, I, I would, not to divert us from the main passage here, or the main thrust, but it's interesting how the, the Bible describes death. And here, in Acts 7, verse 60, it says he fell asleep. Underline that. If you're a believer in Christ, listen, this is what that means. That when we draw our last breath here on earth, our bodies here, they, they go to sleep. Our spirit goes to heaven. We go and we reside with Jesus. We go, and Lord willing, we have a similar interaction where Jesus stands and crowns us and welcomes us home. But we, we our spirit leaves our, our body, and our body goes to sleep, our spirit goes to heaven. But here's what's cool. The Bible tells us this, that one day Christ will return. Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, listen, all those spirits are going to come with him. And then we'll be reunited with our earthly bodies except for they've been glorified and they're perfect. And then we go and reside in heaven forever with him. And so that's why we as believers, when we have loved ones who pass away, 
and ones that we know that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that we mourn, we're sad because we know their body's now asleep and their spirit's absent from us. But we get a chance to rejoice because we know the Spirit now is with Jesus. And one day, we get to join them. That's my little side nugget. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, we mentioned this, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And so as Saul approves of this execution, as he sees Stephen's spirit leave, rage fills him. He goes on this witch hunt now after all the different Christians. Here, here's what I would encourage you to do. We, I keep saying this today, but, but underline... And there arose on that day, verse 1, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Underline that. And then in the calm of your Bibles, I would encourage you to write Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 is the Great Commission. It's the last command that Jesus gives to the disciples. And he says there in Acts 1.8, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's the deal. Folks, this thing in Stephen's life was not pleasurable. It was not good. It was not something that he probably wished for himself. It was a struggle. It was a great hardship. I wish I could come before us and say, listen, you know what? You come to Jesus. You ask Jesus into your heart and your life. Life is nothing but unicorns, rainbows, and bubblegum. I wish I could say that to you. But folks, that's not scripture. That's not, I don't, you won't find that in the Bible. And if, if you listen to the, those who say, listen, it's all supposed to be a bed of roses, I would encourage you to find someone else to listen to. I, want, I, I, I would much rather preach about love than persecution and martyrdom. As preachers, that's not something we really like to talk about. And life doesn't always go the way we plan. And things happen that may appear to be unfair. In the midst of those th times, in the midst of those challenges, oftentimes, at least for me, we begin to question. We question God. We, we question how good He is. If He's in control, if He knows what He's doing, why are you allowing this to happen to me? What have I done to deserve this? And here's the deal. That great commission that we read about in Acts 1.8 probably doesn't take place without Acts 8.1. See, that probably doesn't occur without Stephen standing up for what he believes, not cowering, being bold and declaring with grace and with love who Jesus was. And then this utter rejection 
and persecution. And that's what caused these Christians to flee, to leave, to run to Judea and Samaria and eventually the ends of the earth. It's interesting. They make a point in this passage there where it says, except for the apostles, the disciples. The disciples stayed there. So I don't know exactly why. Here's, here's my speculation. The last time in their lives something like this occurred, they ran. See, we've alluded to the similarities between Stephen and Jesus. And Stephen was a man. He was not perfect. He, he sinned. But there was these great similarities between the two. Those disciples, no doubt, as they're watching this occur, as they're, as they're seeing this happen, have memories of Jesus. And they were there with Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. They were in the garden with Jesus when Jesus was arrested. And when Jesus was arrested, his 12 closest friends, or really 11, one had already left, his 11 closest friends, his family, if you will, hightail it. They run. And, and they would follow off to a great distance. But when it gets to the point when Jesus is ultimately nailed to a cross and he's hanging there, the only disciple that we know of that was still there was John. And it's my belief that those disciples learned their lesson. And when that Holy Spirit came and empowered them, they said, listen, I am not running. No more. And they stood their ground. And they stayed there in Jerusalem. And, and when the persecution came, they withstood it. Eventually they will, will leave, but they were not going to be running this time. Saul will go on and verse 3 it says, but Saul was ravaging the church. That word ravaging there, that same term they used back in the day of a wild boar mangling its prey. That's the description that they use of ravaging, or your translation may say havoc, of a wild boar mangling its prey. You guys see the word picture there? That's what Paul or Saul here is doing. He is so filled with rage. He is so filled with hatred. This high and mighty, this well-educated, this well-spoken, this religious elitist will now go on this rampage looking, searching, and finding Christians and arresting them and dragging them. And he would give them the opportunity to recant. And if they chose to give up their faith and go back to the way they were before, they would be released into freedom. But if they rejected that, if they rejected that opportunity... They would follow the same path that Stephen would or did in death. Folks, as we look through the book of Acts, as we consider this, this passage, I hope we can take some comfort in knowing that God is always in control. He is sovereign. We may not understand what's going on. We don't enjoy the hardships that God's placing us in or allowing to occur. But here's the deal. God very well may be grooming you to be just like Stephen and allowing you to go through these hardships that will impact thousands and thousands of lives, that will have an impact in ways that you will never understand this side of heaven. 
We don't always know the outcome, but God is in control. How do we weather those difficulties? How do we go through those hardships? We do just like, like Stephen did. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep focused on him. When we stay focused on him, listen, here's the deal. God doesn't call us all to be martyrs. Okay? Nowhere in Scripture do we see that we're all supposed to die just like Stephen did. But we are called to do something that may be even more difficult. We're to be living sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And you know what? Sometimes it's harder to live for something than to die for something. We die for something. We endure that for a short season, but then we get to go spend eternity in glory. But to live for something day after day can be difficult. But the only way we're going to be prepared and ready is if we live for Him. I, one of my favorite heroes, if you will, is a guy by the name of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary back in the 50s. So way before my time. Way before my time. Way, way. In fact, we just last month celebrated a 60-year anniversary. See, when Jim was young, he felt God calling him to be a missionary. He answered that call and God had placed this particular tribe on his heart, uh, a tribe in Ecuador called the Aka Indians. This was an unreached group. No one had been able to penetrate this group. They were known as being very violent. That when people tried to get close or near them, that they were struck with violence and many were killed. But God had just placed this group on Jim Elliott's heart. So Jim, at one point, finally, with a group of four other missionaries, flew into the forest area. They landed their plane. They got in there on the shoreline. And they were ready and prepared to go reach these people. Stories told that, that the missionaries made this agreement that they wouldn't kill any of these Aka Indians until they had a chance to share Jesus with them. So they land and the families of these missionaries, the wives and the children, are waiting news of what's going to happen. They had an agreement that once everything was there, once they were safe, once they had made contact and all was good, they would radio back in. Jim Elliott and the other four missionaries never had the opportunity to radio back in and say everything was good. See, as they land, as they began to make preparations, they were greeted of sorts by the Aka Indians. Only the greetings came with war cries and flying spears. And all five of those missionaries were killed. And we think, man, what tragedy. That was tragic. How sad. They, they didn't, those, in, those, those missionaries never even had a chance to share the gospel with them. In some regards, in some camps, they would call that failure. They gave their lives for something that resulted in nothing except... Except that about two years later, Jim Elliott's wife and daughter moved into the Aka village. And over time, many of those Indians came to know Christ. And it began with those five missionaries who gave their life. Folks, God's made it very clear in Scripture that He doesn't want part of us, He wants all of us. And life won't be perfect, but He's a good God. He's in control.
and if he's going to take care of the birds in the sky and the flowers in the fields, he'll take care of you, he'll take care of me. And here's the deal. This is what's awesome in it all. For those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, for those of us who have accepted that unbelievable gift, the worst thing that they could do to us is to take our life, right? But then we reap this unbelievable reward because that means we get to spend eternity with him. God's not asking for a little bit of us. He's not asking for a small sliver of your life. He's not asking you to spend five minutes in the morning of prayer or read a verse. He's not asking you to tweet out praise Jesus once a week so everyone knows you're in church. He's asking for you. All of you. It's that same Son of Man, Jesus, with arms stretched out, nail-pierced arms stretched out, hands that were pierced for you and for me. Let him wrap you up in those arms and carry you through life. We can be just like Stephen with laser focus on a glorious God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for all that you've done. Lord, I pray that you be with us now in this uh, closing moments. I have no idea how you may have worked this morning. I do know Scripture tells us that your word will not return void. And I don't want this morning to be about a story or about a thought that I may have, but God, I want it to be about your word. Your word is much more powerful than anything I have to say or anything I have to add. So Holy Spirit, I beg you to take your word, implant it into our hearts, our souls, and our minds. God, I pray that you allow us to make choices and decisions that bring honor and glory to you. Lord, for some of us here today, no doubt, I believe are struggling with something. It may be they've never accepted you as their Savior. They may be just like Saul here, who is running around, so enraged, making fun of and beating Christians. The furthest thing, the furthest thing from a church person. And maybe today they just realize, wow, that you love them and that you died for them. And so maybe, maybe part of that, that angst today is they know that they need you as their Savior and, and today they want to do that. Maybe, maybe part of it is just a bad season, a tough season in life where things just aren't going well, whether it's sickness or finances or relationships, vocations, school, whatever. And we just want to sit back and gripe about it. We want to complain about it. We, we feel as if you're nowhere near us and we're on this island by ourselves. God, I pray that you allow us to see your glory today. Help us to, to know that you're at the right hand of God, that you are there speaking on our behalf. And if you loved us enough to die for us, you'll love us enough to care for us.
So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you do a work this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Our goal at Redemption Hill is to see souls saved and lives changed. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and you made a decision, or maybe you have a question or a comment, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad, C-H-A-D, at rh-church.com. If you don't have a, a regular church home, we would love for you to consider visiting us. You can go to our website, rh-church.com, or find us on Facebook for directions. Until next time.